Hebrews chapter 3, and uh, you'll find this on page 1202 in the church Bibles, uh, page 1202. While we wait for the Bibles to go around, did you notice in the bulletin there's a great thing that the locker room have organized, they've got some tickets for the Scotland Samoa game. And if you've got pals who, as blokes who maybe wouldn't go to church, maybe they'll like to come and watch the, uh, the rugby game and, and realize that Christians are fairly normal-ish. Uh, that's a great opportunity. All right, well, if you've got a Bible, please open it to Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 6. It's going to read the... I was going to do the whole chapter, and then I realized I was barking mad, and I thought, no, let's just do the first six verses. There's so much in here. So let's read these first six verses. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So we've been working through the book of Hebrews, and this morning we've come to this part of Hebrews chapter 3. And for quite a few chapters uh, on from here, we're basically getting application of everything he said up to this point. So just notice with me, 3 verse 1, therefore... This is application of chapters 1 and 2, and the, and the application keeps going. 4 verse 1, therefore. 4 verse 6, therefore. 4 verse 14, therefore. So we're getting an extended application of chapters 1 and 2. And uh, I remember my dad, uh, when I was a teenager, teenager, taking me to a Bible conference on a Saturday, um, and uh, the, the guy there was speaking on the book of Hebrews. And I remember walking away just feeling a bit frustrated. Uh, I, I, there'd been a lot of content, but what was the point? How did it apply to my life? That, I was frustrated as a, as a young man uh, uh, not to get the application. Well, the writer has laid out some amazing facts so far about Jesus. Chapter 1, we've seen the supremacy of Jesus as God's Son, God has spoken definitively to the world through his Son. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Uh, he is God through whom and for whom everything was created. And then in chapter 2, you can read of how uh, this one came into the world. God's, uh, the Son became fully human as the ultimate Son of Man to pioneer our salvation. And in an astonishing way, he achieves that through his suffering and death. And so because he is, he is truly God and fully human, he is able to be 
uh, perfectly fitted to be our Savior. But so what? What's the point of that? What are we supposed to do with that? Well, 3 verse 1, therefore. This is the start of a series of applications to show the significance of all that he has shared. Now, sometimes before a news item on the TV or maybe some TV shows, you get a a warning that some of the themes may be upsetting. And I want to flag up today that actually in our passage, he begins to address a a significant theme to the book of Hebrews, uh, the importance of persevering as a Christian. And this might well be kind of an upsetting theme. Now, there are a number of warning passages throughout the book of Hebrews that seem to suggest as if it's possible to lose your salvation. And the note is struck there in verse 6. And we are his house if, if indeed, we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. It's a distressing thought, isn't it? Because I'm sure that there are many here who can think of people who made a good start professing to be Christians, to be trusting Jesus, and yet at some point, they seem to have given up. They've abandoned their original confidence in Jesus. But the message of Hebrews, which is the same as the whole Bible, is that the only faith that that saves is a faith that perseveres, that keeps going. And it is great to remember the day you first trusted Christ. It's a very precious thing. But here's the the more critical question. Are you trusting him today? Have you put your trust in Jesus today? Now, it's a scary topic, but we should see how the writer to the Hebrews communicates in a very loving and positive way. Look at the way he addresses them in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. He doesn't start by casting doubt about their Christian profession. There's nothing here about the sort of superior attitude. He says, well, you know, you say you're a Christian, but you know, I'm really not sure about you. And we'll just have to see how it works out. There's none of that, is there? They are holy brothers and sisters. And even as he begins addressing them, he's beginning to specifically apply uh, what he's already told us in chapter 2, that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters, which is amazing. That's what makes us holy. They are his holy brothers and sisters. And you know what? If you've put your trust in Jesus, you too are a holy brother and sister. Because Jesus shared in our flesh and blood, we get to share in this heavenly calling and becoming part of God's family. Jesus has pioneered a a way of salvation where sinful people can be forgiven and made holy, where enslaved people can be liberated and freed on this uh, path to, to heavenly glory. And so he addresses them with great warmth and encouragement, doesn't he? Holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling. But notice too, he's also a loving pastor because he wants to to show them how they can stay safe, how they can keep progressing in their 
faith and persevere. He wants them to keep going. He doesn't want any to fall away. And you know what? As I've been praying for you this morning, even as I pray for myself, I hope that this morning will help you to persevere in trusting Christ. I want to urge you today not to give up your confidence in Jesus, but to persevere. For, for, to hold on to this hope for, for glory that's ahead of all who, for all who trust Christ. Don't give up. And, and notice how practical he is to help them. He wants them to stay safe, and so he addresses both their minds and their hearts. Uh, verses 1 to 6, he addresses their minds. They are to fix their thoughts on Jesus. And next week, Lord willing, we will consider... Uh, how in verses 7 to 19, he tells them to guard their hearts. And I want you to notice before we kind of dive in here, the, the careful balance in this teaching. He, he wants them to, to go forward secure, knowing that they're part of the family of God. And yet, he's urging them to be careful and not to be careless about how they go about their Christian lives. You see, a healthy Christian will both have a great confidence in Christ, but a healthy fear of letting go of Christ. And I believe these warnings in the book of Hebrews are there to strengthen God's people to not let go. And if you're anxious today uh, about the thought that you're not going to persevere, you need to hear all the great comfort that's here. But perhaps you find yourself here this morning and you're a careless Christian. And uh, you think you're safe however you live and whatever you believe, whatever you think about. Well, I think then you need to hear the warnings of the book of Hebrews. So what's the first command? Well, it is to address our minds. Verses 1 to 6, we are to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Now, I wonder where is your mind going to go today? Um, you're going to leave this room, and uh, if you're driving, hopefully your mind's going to be on the road. And you're going to get home, your mind's going to be on your lunch, maybe. And then maybe, I don't know, uh, the Sunday papers, or sports, football, or Formula One, or, uh, you know, maybe that TV show that you enjoy watching, or Facebook, or WhatsApp, or, you know... Where's your mind going to go? Maybe you're suddenly remembering, I've got homework for school tomorrow and I really have to get to that. You should have done it earlier. And your mind's going to go to that and your mind's going to start going on the work ahead of the week. And do you see what happens? So quickly, our minds get flooded with so many things and we get distracted, don't we? we our minds wander all over the place. And that's why we need to heed this particular um, command. We have to make a real active effort to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Now, what does it mean to fix your thoughts? Well, the, um, original, the word in the original language has the sense of, of giving close and careful attention to something. It's the sort of um, consideration that will have a great impact on your life. Jesus used this very word um, when he, in his ministry when he spoke of... Uh, uh, when he said, consider the birds and consider the flowers. It's a sort of consideration where, which actually should have the impact of reducing your anxiety. 
uh, and increase your confidence in God. Because if this God cares uh, that the birds get fed and uh, he's able to clothe flowers with the most extraordinary and beautiful uh, coverings, and he cares for you, and you're so much more important. If you consider that, that's going to ease your anxiety and grow your confidence in. Do you get that? This is a consideration that, that changes your life. Or, or Jesus uh, comically uh, says uh, of, of the foolishness of pointing out the fleck of dust in your, in your friend's eye, by, but failing to consider, pay careful attention to the plank in your eye. You've got to love the hyperbole. You see, if, if, you, uh, if you pay careful attention to the fact that you've got a plank in your eye, what would you do? Well, you'd seek to get that out before you start counting out the flecks in other people's eyes. It, it, this, is the, the, this is what it means to, to fix your attention. It is to, to carefully observe something in such a way that it changes your life and changes what you, what you do. So our our paying attention to Jesus, our fixing our thoughts on Jesus will be transformative if we give ourselves to it. Now, how often should we be fixing our thoughts on Jesus? Now, we're going to see next week that he talks a lot about the importance of responding to God today. And from that, I take it that actually, you know, every 24 hours... We should be finding ways where we fix our thoughts on Jesus. To consider Jesus will actually strengthen our faith and trust in him. See, our temptation is to be distracted, uh, to forget the greatness of Jesus. And if we don't consider Jesus, then our faith will shrivel and our fears will grow. But if we consider Jesus, we will be reminded of his greatness and his glory, his teaching and his character. And, his, and this will strengthen our faith and our, and our fears will shrink. That's why I think it's a great habit to seek each day to, to read a bit of the Bible. To daily consider how it points us to Jesus. To consider how it applies to, to bring these matters to God in prayer. Uh, you know, if you didn't quite manage it this week, well, start today. And uh, if today you mess up, just do it tomorrow. Just keep working on it until it becomes a habit in your life. Some find uh, other ways of, of just reminding themselves to consider Christ. To recall all they know about Jesus at different points in their day. And to turn to him in prayer. This is what it means to fix your thoughts on Jesus. And I want you to notice that he, he directs our attention particularly to three aspects of the work and the status of Jesus. And we're just going to consider these three ways right now. Firstly, consider his mission. He's the apostle. Fix your thoughts, verse 1, on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle. Now, this is the only place in the Bible that refers to Jesus as an apostle. I suppose we, we think about uh, the disciples. Uh, Jesus calls them and says, you're my apostles. I'm, you're the ones I'm going to send out on a mission. And that's what apostle means, that one who is sent on a mission. 
But the only reason that he sends them out is because he supremely was the one that his heavenly father sent into the world. He's the great apostle we profess. Over and over again in John's gospel, this is how Jesus most commonly refers to himself as the one who is sent out by the father on a mission. And it's the greatest rescue mission of all time. He came to take on human flesh to make a means of salvation to rescue sinners like you and like me. Jesus uh, said once, remember, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. You know, He sends us to proclaim uh, his achievements as the one who was sent out on the Father who made that salvation possible. And we're so prone to forget all that Jesus has done for us. Let's be honest, we're so ungrateful. Did you see the news uh, this week about the two U.S. yachts women who, uh, with their dogs, were rescued by the U.S. Navy after being adrift for five months on the Pacific Ocean? Can you imagine that? I don't mean dogs they started with, but there were two when they were picked up. And they speak about how they survived attacks by 35 feet shark, 30 foot long sharks that were whacking the boat trying to get them in the sea uh, and yet they were discovered and uh, if you saw it, did you notice their faces, their total joy and delight at their rescuers, they were saved now if we've lost our joy and are tempted to give up on our Christian lives, my guess is we've stopped considering Jesus as our apostle who completed such an amazing rescue mission for us. Consider the greatness of the one who came for us, for people like us. Consider the, the great distance he traveled for us. Consider the great cost and, and suffering he bore for us. Consider the many times he humanly could have decided to give up on the mission altogether, but he didn't. He was faithful to fulfill the mission for which the Father sent him, and he did it for us. Now, as I consider, and I've been meditating on this this week, uh, of Jesus as our apostle. Do you know what happens? My heart is softened. And it turns towards gratefulness and thanksgiving as I freshly recall that he did it for me. But not only should we consider his mission, but we should consider his mediation. He is also our high priest. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. We don't just consider what he's done for us in the past, though that is a great and wonderful thing. But this points us to considering what Jesus can do for us in the present. Look back at uh, chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like them. 
fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." See, the stress here is on the ongoing work and ministry of Jesus for us right now. We're going to go really deeply over the coming months into the significance of Jesus being our merciful and faithful high priest. Doug Moo points out that, in a sense, uh, merciful and faithful high priest, the rest of the chapters from chapter 3 right to the end of chapter 10 focuses on each bit of the phrase, merciful, faithful high priest. We're going to go into this very deeply. But notice its significance for those who are suffering for being Christians, who are tempted to give in. He says to them, consider Jesus because he suffered when he was tempted. This faithful high priest is at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is able to help those who are similarly tempted. In their suffering. And these chapters 3 and 4 bracketed by this teaching of the high priest. Turn to chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And then where you've been to really difficult and tough trial and uh, it can you can feel very lonely feel like nobody really understands how hard it is and yet you meet that person who shares with you you know I went through something very similar there is such a great reassurance when you, when you talk to someone who's experienced something of, of the suffering, something of the difficulty, something of the trial that you are currently experiencing. And they can testify to how they've kept going and they've come to the other side of it. That is so encouraging, so reassuring. But you know what? There's something better here than the fact that Jesus can sympathize with us. Although that is a very precious thing as we turn to him in our trials. He does understand many of the things that we go through. But it's more than sympathy as we turn to him. Look at where he is. He's at God's right hand. God who sits on the throne, who has total power and total authority. And because Jesus is our high priest, who's made atonement for our sins so that we can boldly come into God's presence, when we come to God's throne room, we can come with the expectation that this is a throne where we'll find mercy, grace, to help us in our trials, in our temptations, in our sufferings right now. So fix your thoughts on Jesus. These two things are about his his work. Our apostle, 
our high priest. And the third point is to remind us about his status. Consider his magnitude. See, I can't resist M's. You see, if, you, if you're a preacher, there's some little thrill of excitement if you've got you know, matching points. It's just a stupid thing, isn't it? But uh, he is greater than Moses. That's what's being pointed out here in these uh, remainder of these verses. Now, this might might not strike us as being particularly significant if we're not steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures, if we didn't grow up in a Jewish family. But for these Hebrew Christians who had grown up in Judaism uh, before becoming Christians, this is a massive point, isn't it? As you look at the Old Testament, who is the most significant man you're going to find in the whole Old Testament? It's Moses. Moses was absolutely monumental for God's ancient people of Israel. Consider his greatness. He was commissioned and sent by God uh, at the, the, this bush that appeared to be burning. And he sent back to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He sent to be the liberator of the people. And uh, God enables him to do great and extraordinary things, uh, great miracles. You know, he lifts a rod and the, the Red Sea parts and he leads the people across and he lowers it and the, the sea comes over and wipes out the Egyptian army and on they go through the wilderness. And he brings them to Mount Sinai and he's the one who is uh, sort of the great covenant mediator between God who they meet at Mount Sinai and this great enactment where, where it says, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And even at one stage, despite their horrific sin, he pleads with God, look, uh, don't wipe them out. Wipe me out. Save them for your honor. One of the great ones. Faithful in all that God gave him to do. In fact, the first five books of your Bible were written by him. This is how huge Moses uh, is. And there's nothing here that denigrates Moses. In fact, God underlines how important he is. I mean, there was a, a period where um, his, his brother Aaron and Miriam started grumbling. Um, grumbling in the family. Who, who'd have thought it? And they're grumbling about the status of Moses. And uh, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, uh, which is a section that's quoted even in our section here, uh, this is what God says to Aaron and Miriam. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house, God says. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And so there's nothing here that denigrates Moses in any way. Uh, he's faithful in all God's house. Uh, he's worthy of, of honor. And to these Christians who are, are attempted to kind of return back to their Judaism, where, where Moses is honored uh, as the chief prophet overall, they need to do, get this point. Consider the magnitude of Jesus. He is worthy of greater honor than Moses. They're both faithful to God who appointed them in their different tasks. In that way, they're similar. But Jesus is far superior to Moses. And let's just consider a couple of ways here. Uh, it says there that Moses was part of God's house. But Jesus is the builder of the house. 
God is the creator of everything, and he made everything through Jesus. And do you know what? The creator is always greater than the created. You can't get a better, bigger distinction than this. And that's why it's always foolish to be more devoted to anything in God's creation than to God who created it all. There must be probably something very special and remarkable about all the different men who've started these major world religions in the world, but they're all created people. Jesus is the creator. He's greater than Moses, greater than Buddha, greater than Muhammad, greater than Lenin, greater than Mao, greater than Dawkins, greater than Oprah Winfrey. Jesus is greater. Second point, verse 5. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. That's the argument he's making. Moses was a great one among the family of God, but Jesus is the unique son of God, the heir of all things. Uh, Look at uh, what it says about Moses in verse 5, that uh, what, what a great prophet he was. He, um, he was. he bore witness, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But here's the point. Christ is the final word from God and the fulfillment of all that Moses pointed to for all that was promised. And so the argument is quite a simple argument, even though it, it seems a bit complex if you've not had the Hebrew Scriptures as a background, the point is, if Jesus is greater, why would you move from putting your faith in the one who is greater to the lesser? And here's the weird thing. If you say you honor Moses and you want to honor Moses, then you have to honor Moses' message, and Moses is all about pointing to Jesus. It's a bit, bit crazy to say, well, we honor Moses, but we actually don't pay attention to what he says. And whether we're Jewish Oh, non-Jewish, Gentiles. We have the privilege of becoming part of God's household, the family of God, because of our relationship with God's Son. And we show that we're part of God's family, heading for glory, sharing in the hope that is to come, if, verse 6, we hold firmly to our confidence in Christ. And so as I close, um, let me ask you, what will you fix your thoughts on this week? You know, we haven't come here just to talk about interesting things in the Bible. This hits the road. What, what are you going to focus your thoughts on tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday? This week, will you fix your thoughts on Jesus? Have you got a plan of how you're going to obey what God has said to us this morning to fix your thoughts on Jesus? What's your plan? What's going to remind you not not, not to be distracted amongst all the voices and all the things that want to impress themselves on your mind? What will you do this week to ensure that you obey God's word today and you fix your thoughts on Jesus? Can I suggest to you, every time you pick up some mail that's come through your letterbox that someone has sent you, think about the one that God has sent, his son. Here's a little reminder. You go to pick up the mail. Someone sent this to me. Most of it's rubbish. 
God sent you someone who is infinitely glorious, supremely worthy of all your attention, your devotion, your love, one you can trust, one who will keep you if you keep trusting him. Consider his mission. He's our apostle. Consider his, his mediation. He's our high priest. Consider his magnitude. He's better than Moses. In fact, he's better than anyone else. And he's utterly faithful. If you keep trusting him, he will keep you until the end. The only faith that counts is the one where you're trusting him today. It's great that you said the sinner's prayer a long time ago. You know, it's great that you once were baptized. Are you trusting him today? Great, if you are. And if you want to know how to persevere in that trust, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And we're going to do that now as we close with this final hymn, Before the Throne of God Above.